evangelist like his dad. Jason has just been about all sorts of stuff while he's been here at Village Church. Jason is a man with an uncanny ability, a God-given ability to discern systems. To discern systems. Electronic systems and church systems. (laughs) Human relationship, organized systems. To better function for God's glory. Jason Part of that is just Jason loves to find out how things work, whether it's technology or church patterns. And he loves to put things together to collaborate in making effect, uh, systems more effective and more powerful for God. Jason likes more than that, though. He likes banana cream pie. And he likes carrot cake. And he likes... Everything his wife has ever cooked. (laughs) Good for you, Jason. I'm so glad you're not a picky eater. (laughs) Since hearing the call to the ministry at age 16, Jason has served the Lord in Maryland, New York, Tennessee, Missouri, Michigan, Arizona, California, Oregon, Washington, and Collie's Place. Most recently, of course, we have been blessed with Jason's ministry, and it's been our privilege over the last two years to have Jason and his family among us. In a few days, his family, Joel, Adeline, Maxwell, and they're going to take Jason along with them. They're going to move to Bonner's Ferry, and he'll be the pastor of a two church district. When Jason came to us, he was a man talented by God, but a stranger. He leaves our good friend and a man talented by God and fellow warrior for Christ. If you'd like to join us this afternoon at six o'clock, there's going to be a farewell for Jason and his family. It will be not here on the church campus underneath the sycamore trees, It will be in the youth center. So join us there, 6 o'clock. Jason, God bless you. Is it still morning? It is. It is. Just a a few minutes left in the morning. Good morning. Happy Sabbath. I have no idea where Jeff got some of those things. They're true. They're, They're all true, but... I figured when it got to the point where it said that, that I like everything that she's ever made. When we first got married, Joelle had a, a rating system, and it was like a scale of one to ten, and she'd make a dish, and she wanted, genuinely wanted to know if uh, it was something that I liked or not, and uh, so I was supposed to rate it on a you know, scale of one to ten, and, and I don't think I could ever rate anything below a five. Uh, and and I, I have to just be honest, not everything deserved a five. It was still a development process. And, and even if it did deserve a five, I had grown up eating very simple foods. Like my mom would make steamed potatoes and carrots. And then we were responsible for putting salt or butter or whatever else we wanted. But that, you know, simple. And, and Joelle was making casseroles and stuff with all kinds of flavors I'd never had before. So I had to learn to, to um, a, a new way of, of eating. And uh, so, so a five she would never make again. <laughs> and, and then if it was eight or better, then she'd keep it on her list. Um, if it was six or seven, she might make it again if she liked it. Anyway, that, that different story. Goodbyes are, are uh, kind of the, the topic today. And uh, we're going to look at a, a verse uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Um, but before we do, I, I, I did a little research on goodbyes. And hopefully, if you speak the languages of the goodbyes that I'm going to say, you don't um, uh, criticize me too much. Because I'm sure I have an accent, and I sure, I'm sure I won't say them exactly right. But, but if you were um, speaking in Portuguese, saying goodbye, you might say ciao, or até logo. In French, or avoir, or abiento. In German, avidesen. In Spanish, adios. In Russian, dasvidanya. Or in Filipino, paalem. 
if you were speaking in Japanese, sayonara. And, and each language has their own versions of goodbye for all types of different situations. Somebody was telling me earlier today that if you were to say one particular thing in Russian, it would be a, a, a goodbye for your friends and your family. But if you were to say that to your boss, it would be bad. Like there's professional or, or um, more, um, I, I don't even think we really understand the idea here in the English language, but it's like this is common and that's like, I don't know, not common. And, but in English, we do have these very similar kinds of, of things. We say goodbye in different ways depending on the situation. Uh, we might say things like bye or see you later or take care or catch you later or have a good one. And it just depends on the context and what we're trying to communicate. Goodbyes are not my favorite thing to do. I remember as a kid, we'd go over to my cousin's house and there were six of them and two of us, and we were homeschooled, so this was like, this was fantastic. We, had, we got to have fun. And we would play and, and stuff, and when it got to be about dark, we knew that the parents would want to be leaving, and so we would make ourselves scarce. We would not go inside. And we knew that if we stayed outside and we, and, and we didn't make any noise inside, that the parents would forget about us and keep talking. Do you guys do that? Yeah, yeah your kids or, or you for your parents. Well, we would play hide and seek or whatever, and we just, we'd play as long as we could until finally they, they looked at their watches and realized that it was, it was 9 or 9.30 and that it, they should have been leaving an hour and a half before. As I grew up, I went to high school at a little high school in Oklahoma, a boarding academy, and in my sophomore year, um, the, the end of my sophomore year, I knew I wasn't going to be able to come back for various reasons. And that goodbye was really hard because I'd, I'd been homeschooled for a lot of my, my uh, education and I didn't have a ton of friends there. And now I had like all these friends at school and I was going to have to say goodbye. Partly I was saying goodbye or I was disappointed because I wouldn't be getting to experience all of those things that they were experiencing in their junior and senior years. But mostly I was... I was disappointed because I was saying goodbye to them and I was going to miss them. Goodbyes are painful. They represent separation. They disconnect relationships. I don't know about you, but I'm not the best at long-distance relationships. I have good friends that if we get back together, I'm like, it's like we've only been gone for a day or two, you know? We're, we just pick up where we left off. But in the meantime, it's not the greatest communication. I was actually pretty good at communicating with my wife long distance when we were dating. She was at Andrews, I was in Arizona, uh, but the three or four hours we'd talk every night got kind of expensive. So after about five months of dating, I added her to my cell phone plan and I mailed her a, a cell phone. And a, a month later we were engaged. Her, her dad likes to say that that was the engagement cell phone. I think it was just uh, good financial stewardship. <laughs> I'm not the greatest at, at long-distance relationships, and the, the, a parting, a, a goodbye, means disconnection from friendship and relationships. Goodbyes represent the end to something, and sometimes it's a, an end for a short period of time or just a change in circumstance, and sometimes it's an end for, uh, well, until Jesus, right? The title of this sermon today is Farewell, partly because we're going to look at Paul's farewell to the Second Corinthians, in, in the Second Corinthians, to the Corinthian church, and also because after two years of being an intern pastor here, um, I and my family are leaving to Bonner's Ferry, as Jeff just told you about. You know, there's some ways of saying goodbye that are expressing the, short, the desired short duration of the, the distance apart. We can say something like, see you soon. Other goodbyes suggest a uh, dissatisfaction or distaste um, with them. Like, for instance, uh, come back when you can't stay so long. Have you said that to somebody recently? But farewell is a goodbye with a blessing. I mean, literally, it's farewell, do well, whatever, while we're apart. It doesn't express a, a time frame that we're apart. It might be a short farewell, you know, the, the, the farewell of a, a vacation time. Maybe you're gone for a couple weeks, or it could be a long farewell. Uh, but a farewell says, I wish you well. 
It's a blessing. And this Sabbath, as a pastor at the Village Church, uh, my last Sabbath being here, I'd like to wish you farewell. I'd like to leave you with a blessing. In the past two years, I've been rejuvenated and matured. Well, maybe some of you don't think I've matured, but I think I've matured. <laughs> and I've been, I've been blessed with joy because of my time with you. It's been rejuvenating, partly because when I got here, I was just leaving a, a ministry that the North Pacific Union closed, and there was some heartache from that, but there was, it was also, it was a ministry I loved, but it was a ministry that took a lot from me and my family, and it was 60, 80, 100-hour weeks, and, and you don't do that for very long before you just get worn out, and so I came here dragging, and if you remember, I was, uh, we bought a house that we just had to do a little bit of work on, and after a month and some, uh, a couple weeks in tents in the backyard, we finally were able to live in it. It was a lot more work than we expected, and so we came kind of dragging already, and then, and then uh, we had a month or more of, of working on that house, uh, and and you guys embraced us, and you provided kind of an oasis after um, kind of a desert experience. Your friendship, uh, the mentorship of, uh, of Pastor Jeff and the other pastors here, all of that just really fed our souls and rejuvenated us. And it, it only took a few months before I was feeling like I had some vision in me again and that I could, I could really have some enthusiasm being at Village Church has been maturing in lots of ways, partly because we, we've had this intentional internship program, which I really appreciate the Upper Columbia Conference for instituting. And I appreciate you guys for bearing with it. I know every two years you have to go through this cycle of shipping somebody off and bringing some new strange person in. And, and thankfully, you're the kind of people that don't let them be strange for very long. You, you get... You get us in, and you make friends with us, and, and you love on us, and it's just a really wonderful experience. But uh, this focused internship has been a really great experience in, in growing up as a minister of the gospel. And partly it's a, a good experience because Village Church has just got so much going on. It's fun to, to just dabble in lots of different things. And as an intern, I get to do that. I, I get to go and hang out with Sunbridge or be part of the 50-year renewal committee for a little bit or go to the, the nominating committee or, or be part of the board. Um, thank you, board members, for allowing me to be part of that. I know Jeff at times has pulled me aside and said, Jason, you laugh at some of the most inappropriate times. <laughs> Thank you for bearing with, with me um, in, in my strange humor. Well, one of the things that, that I've enjoyed doing is being a project guy. I've kind of been Jeff's uh, gopher for little projects. I, I started here, and if you remember, a couple of years ago, we didn't have uh, internet service at Village Church. I mean, we did, but it was just in the office. And I went to a Sabbath school meeting, um, I think the first or second Sabbath I was here, with my computer looking for the, the Sabbath school lesson, and I, I couldn't get on the internet. And I was just like, what? A, a church that doesn't have internet? And I'm sure there's other churches that don't have internet, but I, I, I was astonished. And I, I brought a proposal quickly to the board and asked if we could install internet. Uh, and a Wi-Fi system. And so after I did that, Jeff started thinking of me as the, the guy who could do techie stuff. And so he sent me on all these projects. And, and one of them was, well, you remember the, the ominous screen that would rise in front of the baptistry? And, then, and, and it had scratches on it. And then there was a box with a projector that, that was like a 45-degree angle or, or better, um, projecting onto that, that big screen. And it was so dim that it was, you could hardly see it. It was almost not worth putting a presentation together. And, and Jeff said, could you work with this group of people that are uh, trying to redo our projection system? And I learned pretty quickly the, the importance of understanding all of the players, all the stakeholders in a project. I had ideas on what it could, could be, and Jeff had ideas, but it was when we all got into the same room and we all discussed stuff and we, we kind of put our desires and the obstacles on the table that we came to a solution that was really good. And we ended up with uh, a system that is, I, I think, pretty fantastic. Some of you might wish it was different, and that's okay. There's always going to be uh, differences of opinions. But, but the goal of getting a system that would work and that would be functional and give us 
um, a, a beauty in our church and not take away from the beauty of, of the facility. Uh, I think we did a pretty good job accomplishing that. And, and going through that process gave me this understanding. It can't just be my idea. It has to be something we all contribute to. And there's been a lot of different projects that I've participated with that are like that. And working with Arlen, he's all kinds of fun to work with. He's got good ideas. And Pat and the 50 Renewal Committee and um, Larry uh, Searle in, in building things. And just there's so many good ideas and so many good contributors. And it's important, as I've learned, it's important that we engage everybody and say, let's, let's figure this out together. Now, I've known for a long time that it's better to work together, but I, I kind of default to working on my own just, just because it's easier to schedule. It's really difficult to schedule people. Have you noticed that? Getting people's schedules together, just, it's, it's a challenge. And um, recently, I, we, we put a camera back there on uh, the post behind another camera. They're, they've got plans for it, I think. But, but I was part of the project getting that thing installed, and we ran some cables. And anyway, the other day, I had to run some one more cable to, to move some things around. And so I'm getting underneath the platform here with a cable, and I, and I, just, I was just going to do it. It was simple, right? Not a problem. Didn't have to worry about these professionals that have so busy lives. And, and I think that that's kind of a mindset that I've had. I don't, uh, I don't think it's a, the best mindset, so I, I'm, I'm just throwing this out. This is a growing thing for me. But it's almost like I feel like I can make you happy if I do the work and you don't have to do it. You know, you, you see that it's done and you're just like, oh, good, I didn't have to get my hands dirty. But I, I realized through my time here at Village Church that that's not the reality. What's, what's happening is that people are standing around saying, how can I be used? And if I, if I just do it myself, then you don't get the benefit and the joy of feeling useful in God's kingdom and participating with things that are valuable. And I, I've learned that if it's worth doing, then it's worth doing together. So I'm, I'm running this cable, and I get to a point where I, I can't figure it out. I, I got to a spot where it, it just wouldn't go. The cable wouldn't go through this, this conduit. And so I called Billy Stallheber, a professional electrician. And Billy was just so gracious. He said, give me 30 minutes, I'll be over there. And he came and he spent an hour, hour and a half with me. And we solved the problem, did the project. And it wasn't so much that we got the cable run through the conduit as that we got to spend time together. And I developed a deeper friendship with him. And, and just the, the benefit of fellowship is so important. And, and so I think that that's something I'm in the process of learning. That even if it means waiting, I really don't like waiting. <laughs> but even if it means waiting, it's better to do it together. Uh, one of the projects that Pastor Jeff has given me, it's not really a project, one of the assignments he's given me is to work with the youth class. And that's been a lot of fun. Um, early on, about six months after I got here, three of the youth leaders retired. And so it was Tim and me, and, and then there was these young people that just rose up to the challenge to do the, the Sabbath school lesson, to lead in song service, to plan activities, and, and I just really appreciate that. And seeing Caleb and Catherine and the other Catherine and Sarah and the other Sarah and Twyla and um, all of these young people step up into leadership has just been probably the most rewarding time, uh, part of my time here at Village Church. I've really appreciated seeing Tim uh, and his willingness to invest in the youth. Um, he gives so much of his time and his effort. His, he, he's just underscored in my mind the importance of hospitality. I think it's probably one of the most important spiritual gifts that we have. Hospitality, joyful friendship, consistent investments of time, that's, that's what Tim, Tim is all about. And I've learned a lot through watching him work with the youth class. And I hope that class keeps being a place that is great at engaging the young people in fellowship and, and drawing them up into leadership. I think that's essential for our church if we're going to be effective in the future. Now, a couple of times a month I've gotten to preach, and part of my maturing process has been uh, growing in speaking. And thank you, I just want to say thank you for uh, uh, bearing with me as I've been uh, learning. I know that I am not nearly as, as talented as my wife at expository preaching, so please don't compare me with last week. <laughs> I've learned to accept your generous praise and, uh, and not put too much stock in it all at the same time. 
Not, not because it's not genuine, but because your praise and kind words can too quickly become um, prideful thinking in my own mind. So I have to be careful and not, ex- and not, uh, not dwell on it too much, but I've really appreciated it. And it's given me encouragement and enthusiasm as I've, I've uh, shared with you God's Word. And, and really, it's God who is the reason that I do this, and it's God's words that I want to share. And so to God be the glory. I'll never forget the joy that friendship has brought to our family. From traveling around all over doing projects with churches around the North Pacific Union to being in one place and developing friendships and deepening uh, those friendships over time, that's just been a real joy for our family, and I want to thank you for that. As we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 to 14, I think it's imp- what Paul is saying is very similar to my thankfulness for you. You've invested in me and encouraged me. And Paul, in this final farewell that he gives to the Corinthian church, is inviting them to pursue loving relationships and to encourage each other. So let's turn there together, and let's read this uh, four verses, and uh, we'll start in verse 11. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Um, Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words, be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace, then the, love of, the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All of God's people here send you their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This farewell comes at the end of Paul's fourth letter to the Corinthians. No, don't, don't look in your Bible for fourth Corinthians. This is two of them we don't have. We only have two letters from, from uh, Corinth. And so Paul writes... Um, one year to Corinth, that's 1 Corinthians, and then there's a couple letters in between, and this is about a year later. He's writing from Macedonia, and he writes 2 Corinthians. And Corinthians, the, the Corinthians, they had all kinds of problems. In, in fact, so much so that 2 Corinthians 2.4 says that one of these letters Paul was anguished over. He, was, he had a lot of tears as he wrote that letter because they were a church that caused him sorrow. They had moral issues. They had legalism issues. They, they struggled with divisions over ideology and personalities. There were people that, that were just hungry for power and position in that church. There were gossipers. In fact, this is the church that they had so much selfishness that Paul had to write a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on love, describing what love really is. And this group of people, maybe because Paul had to address so many of their problems, they began thinking of Paul as as maybe he didn't have the calling to be an apostle. And so 2 Corinthians is, is Paul's response, and he's defending his calling in God. And it's to this group of people that he's saying goodbye he's saying farewell. And it's not really a goodbye. It's a see you later because he, he tells them that he wants to come and visit them soon. He's, but, it, but it's a, a farewell, a blessing and an admonition and a challenge. And I'd like to begin exploring this passage with this, the last verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. And the reason I'm doing this is because I believe this blessing, this last verse in, in the section, is actually the foundation of everything that Paul has written. And, and so it's, it's really the beginning of his farewell, even though he puts it at the end. He says this, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Do you notice the progression? It's kind of like the Christian experience. He begins with the grace of the Lord Jesus, and isn't that how we experience God? We see Jesus and his sacrifice for us, and we recognize our own sinfulness and our need of a Savior, and we see in Jesus the one that we need, the one our soul is longed for, Some have called him the desire of ages, and it's when we really see him that we desire him too. The grace of the Lord Jesus is our introduction to God, and through Jesus, we see the Father, the God of love. Jesus says that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and when you look at Jesus, you see the love of God. And as a result of our walk with Jesus and our understanding of of, uh, this love of God, our falling in love with God, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will dwell with us. 
the fellowship of the Spirit, Paul says. And I don't think that this is just the hanging out with, we call it fellowship lunch, right? It's not just having lunch with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is abiding. This is, this is uh, the life connection. The fellowship of the Spirit, well, th- this is the Spirit who inspired the prophets. This is the Spirit who gives all the spiritual gifts. This is the Spirit who says, who's responsible for leading us into all truth, and He's also responsible for bringing back to our memory the things that He's taught us. This is the Spirit who is the source of our growth and our maturity and our comfort. This is, this is important stuff that Paul's talking about. This is the gospel message, the grace, our introduction to God, the, the, the love of God, our understanding of who God is and our, our sustaining um, all throughout our life, and the, the fellowship of the Spirit, the power that we have to live godly, the, um, the, the growth that we have in maturity in Christ, uh, the, the gifts that He gives and the, the talents He gives us to be useful in His service. All of this is the message of the gospel. And so even though it's his closing message, I think it's, it's Paul's opus dei, his, his description of the work of God. And, and as such, I'm putting it at the beginning. And I want you to think about it as the foundation of everything he's about to admonish the church to do. You can't do what Paul's asking you to do unless you start with this blessing, with this gospel message. So let's go back to verse 11, and let's begin at the beginning uh, of his... Uh, farewell. He says this, dear brothers and sisters. I'll pause there for a second. Brothers and sisters, this is the most, the closest connection that people can have, the connection of family. And I think it's important, John chapter 13, 33, Jesus addresses His disciples as my little children. And if Paul is a child of God, and if the Corinthians are children of God, then Paul can address them as brothers and sisters, right? And, and brothers and sisters have something that's unique about them. It's impossible to dissolve that relationship. No matter what you do, you're always going to be brothers and sisters. It's in the very DNA of your being. You can't change that. In 1884, a merchant in Philadelphia and his Quaker wife wanted to get pregnant, but they were having trouble. So they went to the doctor, Dr. William Pancoast at the Jefferson Medical College. And after, after extensive examination, Dr. Pancoast discovered that um, the, uh, the husband, the merchant, was sterile, and so they couldn't have children. Well, he didn't tell the husband, he didn't tell the wife, he told his students at the Jefferson Medical College, and one student suggested that maybe they, uh, um, the, the, the most handsome member of their class provide a donation. Dr. Pankos agreed to the experiment. He called the Quaker wife in for a, an examination. Um, uh, he hasn't told them his conclusions yet, so he called her in for an examination. He put her under uh, with some sort of, of uh, medication, and, and, and then he, using a syringe, performed the first artificial donor insemination. Well, at least the first successful one that we know about. Not too long later, she, was, uh, she became pregnant, and, and the doctor decided that he should probably tell somebody. So he told, he told the husband, who thankfully wasn't mad at him. Um, he was actually happy, and, and they agreed together not to tell the wife. <laughs> I, the, ethical, the ethical things that come up here are just too many. We won't address them right now, but 25 years later, one of the students in this class wrote on the subject, and he wrote about it in a medical journal after talking to the, the boy who was born and who is ostensibly the first, at least the first known um, donor um, artificial insemination child. Today we have sperm banks and in vitro fertilization, and it's, it's like a, a big deal, so much that t- thousands of kids are born every year from donor uh, parents, donor fathers. There are DNA kits now you can mail out. Have you done this? You mail out uh, your DNA, and, and they... Uh, create some profile for you, and, and then you can post it on an online directory, and that directory will compare 
I don't even know what they're called, but they'll, they'll compare the DNA sequencing stuff and, and they'll say, you're related to this person. They're cousins or siblings or whatever. And, and now we have these children of parents who have used these fertility treatments. Uh, they're, they're looking online and they're finding their, they call them DNA in-laws. And, and they're, even having, they're even having reunions, family reunions. The family connection is, is such that even if you weren't, it didn't even know each other, there's, you're still a connection. And the good thing is, since you can't break it, there's nothing you can do to break that connection because it's, it's in your DNA, there's a predisposition to love the things that you are, right? You're, you're similar to each other. You're this, there's the sameness in you you love about each other. Even if you're not really that lovable, you're still a sibling, Right? And, and you're still connected by this blood connection. And isn't that, isn't that why Christians can say that we're brothers and sisters? We have a blood connection. The blood of Jesus is our, our tie, and we can't change that. We can't change that because you're God's child, and I'm God's child. And, and if that's the case, then we're siblings, whether we like it or not which is a really good opportunity for us to like it. Just, just a thought. Steve Green sings a song about, well, many dismiss it as a, a, an anthem for ecumenism. You know, it's that thing that Adventists fear. We don't want to become too Catholic or, or, or whatever, um, drawn into the Sundayism. And so we, we, we're afraid of this idea of, of dissolving the, the differences between, um, between churches and denominations. But he sings this first verse. It's pretty much about take down the walls between denominations. But the second verse, I think, is worthy of our consideration. It's something that's important for us to think about in this context of kinship. He says, the body weak and powerless, crippled by division, the victim of a tragic and most cruel civil war, brother fighting brother over culture and tradition, while countless lost and dying lie as casualties of war, it's time to end the foolishness of warring with each other and kneel in true repentance that our union be restored. May we then, as brothers, rally round the cross of Jesus and carry on with diligence the mission of our Lord. Let the walls come down. Let the walls that divide us and hide us come down. If in Christ we agree, let us seek unity. Let the walls come down. O children of God, O soon-to-be bride, let us humble ourselves and crucify pride, throw off the flesh and its pious facade, and unite in the name of God. It might be uh, a little too much for me to suggest, but, but I think it's true. We divide ourselves so much by ideology, but our unity is not in our theology. Our unity is in Christ. Paul lays this foundation of kinship and brotherhood before he asks them to do anything. He admonishes them to, to some things. And I think it's really good to, for us to start there and have that understanding of, of our salvation and our brotherhood in Christ be the, the beginning of any admonition. And then he continues in verse 11. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Joy. You know, Paul has spent the last two years addressing the problems of the Corinthian church and, and helping them see how to do life together as Christians and as ambassadors for God. And now he's inviting him to the joy that is really the natural result of our salvation in Christ and our community with each other. Joy, we think of it as an internal emotion. And it's true, it's something that we have internally, but Think of, of isolation. Is it, is it easy to have joy in isolation? Loneliness is kind of the opposite of joy. Joy is what you experience when somebody that you love comes back after being gone for a while. Joy is what you experience when you've invested in somebody and you see them growing and flourishing and it's just fun. And, and it's also what you experience when somebody else um, shares their life with you and invests in you and cares for you in a meaningful way. Joy is best experienced in the context of community. Now, God says, Jesus specifically says that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. 
And I think that Paul is inviting us into that joy when he says to be joyful. It's not just the joy of, I had victory over a sin, but it's the joy of having victory together in our mission for Christ. I believe we should be celebrating, and I appreciate how Jeff makes celebration an important part of this church experience, but we should be celebrating how God is working in and through us. We should be joyful in what God is doing. Back in verse 11, Paul, he adds this idea. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words, be joyful and grow to maturity. Other translations say, be complete. And, and that's, that's a, a good translation too. The word um, katartizo is the Greek word there, and it's translated lots of different ways. It kind of means this, this idea of completion or restoration, um, even preparing something like food, if food preparation is, is part of this. Uh, mending, training, equipping, these are all words that are translated from that katartizo uh, Greek word. And in the context of the Corinthian family, I think Paul is, is really saying what the New Living Translation is saying. It's almost like, please, won't you grow up already? Because they're kind of fighting like seven-year-olds. I have a seven-year-old. She's wonderful. And, and, and she likes to argue sometimes. And, and that's kind of where the Corinthian church was, and he's inviting them into a growing experience. And I think that's so important for us to recognize the need for growth. In 2019 and 2020, Village Church has a vision, and we've entitled the vision Growing Disciples. You've heard about it before quite a few times now. And and the idea is that we want this maturing process to be not just a, a thing that happens by accident or doesn't happen at all, but we want it to be something that's intentional in our church. And we want to recognize that while Christ is the one who does the maturing, didn't Paul say in Philippians uh, 1 verse 6 that being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it? That's that word, mature it. He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So if, if Jesus is the one doing the maturing, um, God's church has to recognize He uses us. We are part of that, of His work in maturing people. And, and I think it's co- closely connected. I think Paul is really thinking of this idea of discipleship when he's saying grow in maturity. And the Village Church has this opportunity to consider that process and, and invite somebody in. And wouldn't it be a shame if somebody coming through our doors for the first time, becoming a new believer in Christ, it, wouldn't it be a shame if we just kind of left them there and said, well, I hope you figure this out? That's not fun. No, we need to embrace them. And we need to say, let's, let's uh, help you learn how to be a self-feeding Christian so you actually know what the Word of God, how to use the Word of God in your own life. Uh, let's help you to grow in your personal witness so you're sharing your, your love for God with others. Let, let's plug you into ministry so you're part of the, the family of God and the, the ministry and mission of this church. And let's also invest in you so that you're growing in your, in your spiritual leadership potential. That's the idea of discipleship. And I'd like to invite you, as Paul does to the Corinthian church, I'd like to invite you to grow in maturity and to prioritize this discipleship and, and the systems necessary to make discipleship happen. Don't just let that be a thing the pastors talk about and you hope happens, maybe, maybe if they get around to it or something. Internalize that and say, how can I help in this process of making disciples and growing disciples? And couched in this idea of, of growing in maturity is the idea that it's okay to grow. I know that sounds, obviously, it's okay to grow, right? But there's, there's something about Christianity that kind of makes us compare ourselves with each other. And so if you're a new Christian or if you're a young person in this room today, it's okay to be where you are. You don't have to compare yourself with somebody who's been a Christian for 50 years in your understanding of the Bible or your um, prayer life or your grasp of the church systems. Like, you don't have to understand all of those things right now. You're okay where you are. Jesus used the illustration of a seed. In one parable, he said that if you plant a seed in the ground, it has to die before it can bear fruit. But then when it dies, it grows. And in another parable, he talked about the, the um, blade of grass, the wheat grass, we'll call it, and then it grows and it has these little immature seeds on it. And then it finally has this beautiful golden ripe wheat. And to Jesus, every stage of that process is perfect. 
and he's in charge of the growing process. Growing is okay. It's okay where you are right now. And God, in the context of this fertile church community where relationships with Jesus can be planted and flourish, in the context of this community, God has a plan to grow you up. How can you, how can you rest in Jesus and not expect to grow? It's like having that fertilizer on the seed, just the right conditions, just the right amount of water. It's going to grow, right? That's what we want in the village church. We want it to be the incubator for Christian growth. But it doesn't happen automatically. It happens with intentionality. And so I'd like to, I'd like to challenge you and put some emphasis on this. Growing disciples is an important initiative. And it's something that uh, Paul is echoing here to the Corinthian church. Let it be a core value of your experience to grow in Christ. Back in verse 11, Paul continues on. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other. The New Living Translation uses the word encourage. Other translations say that this is exhort or admonish, or uh, in other places it's uh, to plead. The word Parakaleo is the Greek word, and it's beg or urge or appeal. Why would Paul be asking them to beg each other or appeal to each other? What's the point here? What's he trying to say? I think there's two things. The first, the first is about the, cre- the Christian experience. When you are introduced to Jesus, the grace of Jesus Christ It's because He has been pursuing you. He is calling you. He's saying, I want you. Paul says that we are elected, and everybody is elected. Everyone is being called by God to be His children, and He's inviting us into that experience of calling. We get to encourage each other, to appeal to each other, and say, God wants you. God loves you. And that's not just something that happens in this church community. It it happens in in our uh, the world that we live in, the place that God has called us to be missionaries, he's, in, he's called us to be encouragers towards salvation. He invites us to be part of that process. But there's another way of looking at encouragement, and it's also having to do with calling, because not only are you called by God for salvation, but you're called by God to be used in His, in his service as ambassadors for Him. Every one of us are called. Uh, Exodus and First Peter and Revelation all talk about this calling as the calling to a priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. And, and priests are, there's a, a special calling for a priest. And each one of you are given that calling. But not all of us recognize it. I mentioned earlier that there's people just kind of waiting around, asking, you know, willing to be useful for God and just waiting for somebody to invite them into that service. I think it's super important that we make those invitations. What would have happened if Elijah hadn't put his mantle on Elisha? The Old Testament would be very different today. And part of this growing disciples idea is that we invite other people into ministry and that we encourage them in the gifts that God has given them. Part of this happens when you see somebody exercising their talents, and not just music. Often we think of music as like the talent. Um, Not just public speaking, but hospitality and, and, and all the, the gifts of the Spirit, all the uh, fruit of the Spirit, I, sh- I should say. Our encouragement needs to be consistent. We need to be reaching out. We need to be tapping people on the shoulder and saying, God is calling you into ministry. And it happens when the nominating committee selects somebody and says, would you participate in this way? It happens when we hand somebody keys and say, could you be responsible in this particular way? It's super important that we invest. If Elisha would have changed the Old Testament had he not been there, it's also true that the future would not be as God intends if we did not call people and encourage them in ministry. Back in in verse 11, we read, Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace. In the original language, Paul seems to be using two phrases to say the same thing. 
One is be of one mind, and the other one is live peaceably. But, but I think he's really saying the same thing here. Think about two countries. If two countries are at war, is there peace? If two countries are of the same mind, they have harmony, is there peace? Yes, peace comes with the same mind, the same harmony, the same uh, direction, the same focus. And I think that's a calling that we need to take seriously. This, I mentioned the Growing Disciples Initiative. Now, there might be some people over here that say, oh, we don't really care about that. And people over here that are passionate about that and people in the middle that are like, no, it shouldn't happen, you know? We can have these divisions that, that keep us from being successful in the mission God has called us to. And, and Paul is inviting us to be of one mind. Center our, our focus on Christ. Um, let those who he's called to lead us um, take us places, and, uh, and let's jump on board. Let's do it together. Let's contribute, all of us together, to this vision that God has given us. And as we do, we will have peace. And then he adds this idea, the God of peace, the God of love and peace will be with you. And I think this is where he comes full circle. He begins with a salvation experience the grace of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And now here at the end of his admonitions, he, he wraps things up and says, if you do these things, then the God of love and peace will be with you. It, it's almost like Paul sees God as our rear guard, the thing that's introduced us to our walk with God, um, but also as the, the, the one who keeps us on our way, and the one that heads us up and, and gives us a future and a hope. He's, he's Christ behind, Christ before, right? This is, this is Paul's way of looking at this when he says his farewell. There are two more verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. The first is verse 12. He says, greet each other with a sacred kiss. And I don't think this is just a, you know, a nice thing to say. I think he's got some, a point here that's important for us too. The Corinthian church was a church that was broken up with division. Their relationships were torn. They were filled with pride and gossip. And then Paul asks them to be affectionate. I give my kids and my wife a hug and a kiss when I'm leaving for work and when I come back. It's a, just kind of one of those basic family things that says you're important to me, you're special. This is a unique relationship. I don't give every kid I meet a kiss, just my kids. And, and Paul calls us brothers and sisters and he invites us to family affection. I know there's hot and cold cultures, and where Paul grew up and, and the, the culture he was in, that's a hot culture. And so a, a kiss on the cheek or whatever they did back in the day, that was totally appropriate for them. We live in a cold culture. We like our personal space, and, and coming up and giving somebody a kiss might be, uh, well, it just might be taken wrong. So, so maybe instead of saying a holy kiss, I can admonish you, I can invite you to uh, greet each other with a holy hug or a holy handshake. Is that more appropriate? Do you feel like that would work better? And, and this isn't just something that, that we could do. It's something we should do. There was a, a man I heard of recently who, after a long time of being absent from his church, he went to, to visit a church just to see what it was going to be like. He, he came in. He stayed for the sermon. He hung out a little bit afterwards. No handshakes, no greetings, no interaction. And he just felt lonely and like he didn't matter. But when you greet somebody with that handshake, with that hug, it says, you're special to me. You're part of this community. You're a brother. You're a sister. We need to be affectionate with each other in appropriate ways, obviously. But we need to be affectionate and share our love with each other. And, and as, I, as I share my farewell, I want you to think about how Paul is talking. And maybe... Maybe what Paul is saying here is like my mom, when she calls me on the phone and, and we chat for a little while, she'll, she'll end by saying, give Adeline and Maxwell a hug for me. Maybe that's what Paul is saying. He's ending his letter and he's saying, give each other a, a sacred kiss for me. Well, I'd, if that's the case, then I'll echo that. And I'll say, as I leave and I go to a different place, 
Maybe I can't give you a hug or a handshake, but give each other a hug for me. Give that person who comes into the church for the first time a hug for me. Can you do that? Can you be affectionate with each other? One more verse, verse 13. He says, and all of God's people here, that's in Macedonia for Paul, send you their greetings. And it highlights something that's important. You're not just a a family of brothers and sisters in this room, but all of God's people are your family. And so where I'm going in Bonner's Ferry, we're part of the same family. And you can send your greetings to me and I can send my greetings to you. And maybe we'll get together. Maybe I'll come down and visit or you'll come up and visit or we'll see at camp meeting or whatever the scenario, we get to, we, we still get to interact. And the truth is, whether we're apart for just a short period of time or whether we don't see each other until heaven, we're brothers and sisters. And our hope is for a resurrection and a life forever with God and with each other. And so, as I bid you farewell, let's read this passage one more time. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All of God's people here send you their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.